welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. As a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so be sure to rate and subscribe. Tony and Drackey here making my return to the Cubs Weekly Podcast after a few weeks off. Tim Stebbins, MLB.com and Marquee Sports Network contributor, and then Andy Martinez, our Cubs reporter for Marquee Sports Network here. So guys, thanks for joining us. Uh, coming off a Cubs win here, we're recording this Wednesday before Wednesday's game. I know most people will be listening to this on Thursday, but Cubs win on Tuesday was, was big and kind of exactly what the Cubs needed right now, I think. Yeah, it was the offense hitting a lot of home runs. Christopher Morrell and Say Suzuki, two of those guys hitting home Matt runs. Matt Mervis. They're Matt Mervis yeah. getting another one. Um, getting on base, getting those runners across, adding on insurance runs, Christopher Morrell's uh, home run. But that was one thing when they were going well in April that they were doing well was if they were up three or four runs, the ability to add a, another run or another two runs or another three runs late in games, which I think is the difference between you know a, a good team and a, and a really good team. I thought that was lacking over the last few weeks when they've been in this rut where they've been struggling. To be able to do that was big. And also just as big was the bullpen. When Jeremiah Estrada comes in in the in the sixth inning, and he's got bases loaded, no outs, to get out of that with just one run, and, and, and Pete Alonso, and no Pete Alonso yeah. up to bat, and realistically, there was a chance he really could have gotten out of there without a single run. If it was, it was a really tough play. So you're asking a lot, but if, if Patrick Wisdom could have uh, maybe fielded a little bit better, I guess I don't know. It was a tough play to, to get, but maybe you get a double play there, and and maybe you get out of it with with no runs. But regardless, it was a great performance by Jeremiah Estrada. And then to, to turn it over to, to Mark Leiter Jr. and Michael Fulmer, who looked pretty good at, in the ninth inning, I thought that was just a good, complete win for the Cubs. And, and a lot of the things that have been going wrong were, I want to say, looked better in, in, this, in this one game. And it was Ross's 200th win as a manager, too. But, Tim, you know, you were out there covering the game as well. What did you make of, of the game? And we're not looking to read too much into it, but exactly what Andy said is how I kind of feel, too. There were a lot of things that looked really good. Obviously, the key for the Cubs would be stacking some of these wins in a row, which they've been un- unable to do the last three four weeks. Yeah, I mean, I think they definitely needed it. This is going to be a pretty tough homestand, I think, with the Mets. I know the Mets haven't played like everyone thought with their kind of their payroll situation this year so far, but um, that's still a talented team on paper, at least. So you need to play well this series. And, you know, Tampa Bay's waiting in the back half. So not to say that I don't want to make any declaration about how that series is going to go, but to start off the homestand, you probably should try to get as many wins as you can yeah. before that. Uh, I'm with Andy, though. Like I thought the bullpen was one of the two most interesting things about that because, A, the bullpen has been, as Jed Hoyer said, they pitch poor in, in leverage situations uh, this season, and that's pretty much, you look at their record, a big reason why. And I thought it was interesting who – David Ross went to mm-hmm. you uh you mentioned it but also Julian Merriweather it's yeah, guys that right. I don't think I mean Jeremiah Estrada wasn't here early in the season Julian Merriweather has been really kind of a low leverage mop-up guy and uh we know he's got the big velo and he showed that last night uh Mark Ladder Jr. was someone who was DFA'd in the offseason but he's obviously been pitching well and uh Fulmer right like Fulmer struggled so the fact that that was the order they went with. It's clear that Ross is kind of trying to push different buttons now because he has to, because the bullpen has just not uh, worked out and gone how they thought, and now he's going to have to try different options. And they need people to step up. One game, we're not trying to make too much of it, like we said, but those different options, one game did step up. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, about the bullpen too, real quick, and we'll touch on it a bit more later, but Merriweather, um, he has been in low-leverage situations, but like he is a guy that, 
we've talked about before, Andy, you and I mentioned on the podcast, like he was in the mix to be the Blue Jays closer before he got hurt a couple of years ago. Tim, you just mentioned, I mean, that fastball that gets close to 100 miles an hour. I remember David Ross earlier this year was uh, kind of laughing because he's like, hey, I can't believe it. I look around the league and even mop-up guys are coming in throwing 98, 99 miles yeah. an hour. And he's like, and now we have one of those. And, and Merriweather has been pitching in low leverage, but after his first outing this season where he gave up five runs in less than an inning, he was only two-thirds, he's pitched to like a mid-two ERA since then, and he's been pretty solid as well. And when a guy like Estrada, he hasn't given up a run yet this year. Mark Leiter Jr. has been pretty solid. Like, there are some pieces in there in the bullpen, um, and it certainly presented itself on Tuesday night. But before the game, Jed Hoyer came out, and Tim, you alluded to this a bit, but um, – you know, he, he just basically talked about the team, the state of the team in general. They're, the Cubs, even with that win Tuesday night, are 7-16 and 16 since a series win over the Padres in late April at Wrigley. It's not exactly what they thought it would be, but a ton of those games are one or two run losses. They're 1-11 in that stretch in games decided by two runs or less. That's just really tough. And the big reason for it is like a lack of clutch, both pitching and hitting. And as Jed pointed out, going into Tuesday's game, in Woba, weighted on base per average, the Cubs were sixth offensively, and pitching staff was seventh, uh, ranked seventh in baseball. So essentially, this is a top ten team or a top seven team in both aspects in terms of creating run scoring opportunities offensively and limiting run scoring opportunities defensively. So how is it that they keep struggling? Well, it's because in big moments, in high leverage moments, for whatever reason, they're really, really struggling. And Tim, you looked up, you know, some really interesting stats to this uh, season to date, but also in May. You know, if you want to run through those a little bit, just like why the Cubs are struggling in the clutch. Maybe we don't know. They certainly don't know. But as it is right now, there's definitely a stark contrast between high leverage moments for this team, especially in late and close games, and what the rest of the game, what we're seeing. Yeah, like I, I think the defining the clutch factor, all that—that's a big nuanced conversation that yeah. we're obviously not, we don't have time for. That could take hours. But, but looking at high leverage, just just look at their offense, and then I'll say the bullpen because we're talking late game situations when these moments come up. Uh, in May, offensively, they're 25th in average, 188 on base is 283. That's 26th. Slugging is 259. That's 28th. Uh, WRC plus is last, 47. And Wade Runs created plus, and then Woba, like we're saying, they're tied for the worst at 241. And this is all in high leverage situations exclusively, yeah. In, in May. And then the yeah. bullpen, high leverage in May. I mean, we we see we've seen this, right? I mean, you were in Houston, we know what happened in that uh the game with the bullpen giving up a handful of runs late and they lose. Uh they're twenty-eighth in ERA at nine ninety-five, and honestly, that could look a lot worse because it probably improved after last night. So I think before last night, you'd probably see them closer to 29th or 30th, frankly. Uh, average 318, that's 27th. On base, 429, that's 27th. Slugging is 864, last in MLB. So it's no secret, man. I mean, you, you can play these tight games, but uh, a couple moments can make the difference, and they're often late in games. And for whatever reason, off when they're hitting and, and when the relievers are coming in, they're just not getting the job done. And that's something that I believe it was Jed Hoyer that mentioned it in Houston that the thing about the bullpen is like if you give up one run, that was like in the run that they've been on where they've been struggling, one run was the difference, right? And like that's asking a lot of a bullpen. You're asking when you're doing that, you're asking the bullpen to go out and pitch zeros every single night for three or four innings, depending how long your starter goes. That's 
that's asking a lot of your bullpen. I don't care how good you are. Like the Astros bullpen is really, really good. If you were asking them to go zero innings or to, to give up zero runs over three or four innings each and every night, that's not going to happen. Like it's just not, it's just not sustainable. And that comes that in turn comes back to the offense, right? Being able to add on runs, being able to score more runs, being able to if they're up three or four runs. The the Astros game, the finale in Houston, where they were up six to one, and we know the Astros come back and win it, walk it off, win seven six. Yes, the bullpen gave up runs, and, and Mark Leiter Jr. wasn't as strong as he had been. It was probably his one of his few bad outings of the season, and, and Keegan Thompson struggled. But the offense had opportunities to tack on runs too earlier in that game, or, or, or other times in that game. Like there were there were runners on base in first first and second. There was situations where it could have been instead of a six one game, maybe it's an eight one game, maybe it's a nine one game, maybe it's a ten one game, and. And then maybe you aren't going to Mark Leiter Jr. Or maybe if you are going to him and he gives up those two runs, it's a 10-3 to game and it's still really, really tough for Houston to come back when it's 6-1 to and you give up two runs and it's 6-3. to that I mean, Houston's right back in that game. It's, There's it's a mental changes. component. Exactly. Yeah. It's just a huge add-on factor that when the offense isn't able to, to add on those runs, it, it has that trickle-down effect where you're kind of hoping your bullpen's perfect. And, and again, that's asking too much of, of, of a bullpen. I don't care how you could have the best bullpen in baseball. When, you, when you're asking them to be perfect night in and night out, it's just, it's just asking way too much. Again, going back to what we saw on Monday, or excuse me, on Tuesday night against the Mets, that was the encouraging sign, right? Being able to add on that extra run, being able to add on a, a, an extra two runs. That's what you need to do to have success, to, to not stress the bullpen, where if they're giving up one or two runs, it's it's maybe not the end of the world. Maybe it becomes a, a, a three-run game as opposed to a five-run game. But when you're asking them to, 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 to be perfect and they give up one or two runs, that's the difference between a win or a loss. Yeah, I mean, remember that situation that Estrada came into. It was, what, 6-1, to one, yeah. right? Imagine how different that is with Pete Alonso, you know, the MLB leader in homers and I think RBI too, but definitely, you know, a National League MVP front runner right, right now in late right. May. He's at the plate, basically loaded, nobody out. Imagine if that's a 2-1 ball game instead right. of 6-1, right? right? Like, it's, you know, even if you give up a grand slam, you still have a one-run lead with, like, 12 outs to go. So right. you can still get through it. But, yeah, I mean, it was it definitely changes the game, and especially doing that against a team like the Astros, who have been in four of the last six World Series. Like, yeah. you can't do that. It'd be right. one thing if it was against the Oakland A's, but, like, you know, that's not happening right now. But, you know, the, the clutch factor is really interesting, and, and maybe it's just a bit of randomness. Like, Jed was talking, you know, Tuesday about – how if you would have looked at, if he, you would have told him what these numbers are overall, just looking at the stat sheet, the back of these guys' baseball cards, where his team ranks in certain categories, he would have thought their record would be flipped. He would have think that they're 26 and 21, or maybe even a bit better than that. And the fact that they're 2 and 10 in one-run baseball games, that is pretty random and fluky. There is obviously, you know, an element of like, you are what your record says you are. That's something Jed said that is absolutely true. That has been true in all sports in every season. So the Cubs don't get credit for having what should be, be, you know, better luck or whatever else. But the thing is, it may even out here. It doesn't have to. Right. It's not like baseball gods make sure that everything evens out each <laughs> right, season. Right, right. But like, it very well could. And May has been difficult for them in that regard. But 2-10 in, in one-run games, that's the worst winning percentage in baseball. And one-run games are notoriously fluky. Jed has talked about that. It was even earlier this year that he talked about good teams blow teams out. They don't just win by one run. So right. the clutch factor, you know, I, 
the Cubs believe in the personnel. They, they picked a guy like Dansby Swanson, who's a winner. Trey Mancini was big. You know, Eric Hosmer, obviously, is no longer with the organization, but he's won World Series before. Like, there are veteran guys to mix with guys like Mervis. And then Christopher Morell, it doesn't matter if, you, you know, he's in the ninth inning, which he did in Philadelphia the other day, or in the seventh inning and adding an insurance run. I mean, that guy's just hitting balls out of the ballpark no matter what right now. But the clutch factor, it's so hard to quantify I do anticipate it turning around. I, I just don't see the Cubs being this bad in one-run games or having this level of production and high-leverage moments moving forward when you have the level of talent and the pedigree that these guys have moving forward. I'll say really quickly, like, usually a, every team is usually right around 500 in, in one-run games. So the fact that they're 2-10 is, like, again, like, that's super fluky. Yeah. Like, I think there will be a run. And maybe it's not a run. Maybe, like, Three of their next four one-run games, they win, and and that's how maybe they, they make up the the difference. But I don't think they're going to be two and twenty percent winning percentage in one-run games the rest of the year. And maybe they are. Like I mean, the Mariners in twenty-one had a had barely a positive run differential, and they were almost a playoff team and, and playing way above their run differential and Pythagorean and win theorem. But like that's like that's it could be fluky. It, it might even out, but we just we just don't know. Yeah, and I mean one thing though on on one-run games, a lot of that comes down to the bullpen. And a lot of high-leverage moments, as we talk about, come down to the bullpen. And we were initially going to talk about this a little later in the podcast, but it feels like a very natural flow right now to, to chat. So sorry, guys, I'm, I'm going against okay. the script a it's bit okay. here. But, uh, I, you know, with the bullpen, Jed talked about it quite a bit, actually. Almost half of his session was talking about the bullpen. And that's been a big thing for the Cubs lately here is just – they don't have the Craig Kimbrels, you know, even when he was not struggling, or when he was struggling, he was still in the ninth inning for the most part. But like, you know, and then David Robertson last year has emerged, uh, emerged very early on as the closer. But then there's guys like Chris Martin and Michael Givens and Ryan Tapera and Andrew Chafin and guys that the Cubs picked up as, on one run, on one year deals. And, and some of these veterans who had a decent track record, but maybe nobody was expecting the level of performance that they put up in a Cubs uniform. People thought that was going to happen with Boxberger and Fulmer and maybe even Julian Merriweather as well. And it hasn't played out that way. And, and because of that, I think it's a question mark every night right now or every day what who Ross is going to turn to in certain situations. And Estrada on Tuesday night was really a matter of like, this kid's been doing great. Let's see what he does in a high leverage moment because he's a part of our future. And it's not like everybody else is getting the job done right now. But this bullpen, I think, is part of the reason why they're 2-10 in one-run games. And it's something that the Cubs know they need to correct. And maybe reinforcements are on the horizon. You know, Tim, I know you mentioned, you asked Jed about Daniel Palencia. He's been moved to the bullpen recently. Cody Horry is a guy that could be coming off. Cam Sanders, Andy, you've mentioned him before in AAA. Like, there are guys that could come up. But either way, in general, I feel like, I mean, bullpen is something the Cubs know they need to correct at this point. Yeah, I mean, look, like, I don't want to put it all on just Fulmer and Brad Boxberger, but like we're saying, like we talk about all those names and recent past that they've signed and, and how big those guys were, these low-cost free agent relievers that were veterans and late. They were the backbone of their bullpen, frankly. Yeah. We remember in 21 before the trade deadline, it was the, the joke was the three-headed monster with yeah. Kimbrel, Chapin, Tapera. They don't have that this year. And uh, do I think Fulmer and Boxberger will be better? Yeah, I mean, Boxberger has shown he's been – Pretty solid, I think, and we know he's on the injured list right now. Fulmer's fifth, the field independent pitching, is uh, oh, close to, I'll say, I guess, half of his ERA. So maybe there's some bad luck there, but obviously he's had some struggles himself. I do think one difference maker in this has been, like, if you talk about Kimbrell and, and Robertson specifically, um, we know David Ross has not necessarily in recent years anointed a closer, right? Like, there's, there's obvious guys 
that are that guy. And mostly, I think, in my shoes, that's because you, you have that top reliever, quote-unquote, who, whether it's the ninth or the most key pocket-laden games of a opposing lineup, that's when you want to call on that guy. So I can get why you don't call on a closer, but I think you have guys like Kimbrell and Robertson who – we know what those guys were. They're, they're very successful closers and track records. And uh, I know Brad Boxberger's been a closer. I know Fulmer's pitched high leverage in the past. But um, I almost just wonder if, if maybe that's kind of part of this in a way. Like you're missing that one guy to balance with these other two guys who I expect to balance uh, even out and, and get better results in Fulmer and Boxberger. And you work backwards then if you yeah. have that one guy because you know the ninth inning's locked down, whereas Ross obviously right now does not have a ninth inning option, a surefire ninth inning option. So then that doesn't mean that there's an eighth inning option or a seventh inning option, which can work. It's worked for the Rays for so many years, yeah. but like that's not the way that managers like to go about things. They want the stability. They want the mental knowledge of knowing that this guy's going to be in the ninth inning if it's a three-run game or less. Uh, to close things out, and right now the Cubs just don't have that. No, they don't. And and then the thing is, like like we mentioned, there's so many interesting candidates. Like Daniel Palencia's a guy. Who, obviously, like we mentioned AAA and and Cam Sanders and Jeremiah Estrada before that. Where uh, these are young guys that have you can tell they have the stuff, right? Like on paper, they should have the stuff that they could be high leverage arms. But like when they're first called up, and I think this is something I always see on on Twitter. It's like right, just throw them in the ninth inning. Well, yeah. you can't do that. Yeah, like no. it's not that's not how it works. Like you want to get. But first of all, like. It, a lot of these guys, it's their first time in the in MLB. Like you want them to like get used to pitching in baseball, just because there's that mental aspect. Like I don't care how good your stuff is. Like when you get to the major leagues, every guy's experienced it, where they're like, "This is the major leagues." They have that aha moment. Imagine throwing them in the ninth inning and and in a one run game. Like that's the last thing you want to do. That's the last thing you. That's the last way you want to develop your your homegrown relievers. Like you want the to do it like the Jeremiah Estrada, where you're pitching in low leverage situations. You're pitching. And you're getting outs, and you're not giving up runs, and and you're getting used to it, and you kind of realize like, okay, my stuff plays. Jeremiah Estrada, after the game on Tuesday, mentioned it that all these veterans, guys like Fulmer, have helped him where they he realizes like, okay, I'm ready, and my stuff is is good enough, so that when he gets into a bases loaded, no out situation in a five run game, he can go out there, allow just one run, and keep the keep the score there, and allow the Cubs to go on and win that game. That doesn't happen if you just throw him in there in his debut or in his second game. Like, you need to work to that level. So while there's all these interesting guys, like Bailey Horn's another guy who's really interesting at AAA, a lefty arm, like, when he comes up, you have to kind of do that. And Brandon Hughes, we saw that last year where he comes up in a low-leverage situation. By the end of the year, he's one of their best relievers. He still could be one of their better relievers this year, too, if, if he can stay healthy. That's that's my, my thing right now with some of these young relievers. It's like, yes, I know you want to see Jeremiah Stroud. I know you want to see Nick Birdie. I know you want to see these guys in – eighth, ninth inning, one-run games, or, or in the seventh inning against the middle of the lineup. But it's just not beneficial to anyone if you're throwing them in there right right away when they're, when they're getting to the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, that can completely crush their confidence, which is right. not what the Cubs want. I will say, though, I think you're going to see more of that just because they have to start pushing some buttons. Sure. Like, yeah. I agree no, with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to throw them in the fire right away. But I think with how this bullpen has performed, like, you got to start trying things like – yeah. Whether they're ready or not, you're going to find out because you're going to have yeah. to try it. And uh, if it works, that might be an answer to kind of this this big issue that they've had this year. Like maybe in an ideal situation, it's like, I'm, I'm just totally making this up, but maybe you do like five or six outings before. Maybe now it's like three or four outings. Yeah. Like maybe it's or maybe it's two outings. Like maybe it's just like, let's get your feet wet and then you're good to go. Like 
you, you, you're in a situation where like, yes, you want, you don't want to throw them right in the fire, but you also have to throw them in the fire pretty soon. Yeah. And even a guy like Merriweather, who is more of a veteran, like maybe he just does start getting a little bit more yeah. high leverage moments because he's done a little bit in the past, but you know, also he's pitching pretty well the last few times out. So like, yeah, maybe you throw him in a high leverage. I think Ross is certainly looking at uh, shaking things up however he possibly can in the bullpen. Yep. Jed Hoyer obviously talked about it. Hoyer also shouldered the blame for the bullpen and took it on himself and just said that he doesn't feel like he put Ross or the coaching staff in the right situation with constructing the lineup, or sorry, constructing the roster in the bullpen. Um, we are going to take a quick break here on the podcast. When we come back, we're going to talk about Morell's incredible run. We're going to talk about Drew Smiley's incredible run as well uh, and some other stuff, including injury updates and Jamison Tyone. So stay tuned. You've got the jersey, the ball cap, the foam finger. Everyone can see you're a Chicago Cubs fan from a mile away. Ready to take your look to the next level? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. With no monthly fees, free ATMs nationwide, and a $300 bonus when you open your account. Start showing your Cubs pride with every purchase. Sign up at Wintrust.com Cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Tony Andraki, Tim Stebbins, Andy Martinez. One guy who's not here is Christopher Morell, but that doesn't mean that you can't hear the, the bat cracks in the background. I think he just homered again. He probably did. Uh, Justin Steele tweeted out, again, we're recording this Wednesday right before the game. Justin Steele tweeted out in the morning Wednesday, why isn't Christopher Morell homered yet today, which made me crack up. Yeah. Uh, I love that. He said also said something about the tennis racket. He's swinging a tennis racket up yeah. there, which always cracks me up, by the way, because if you swing a tennis racket at a 93-mile-an-hour pitch, you're not even going to hit the ball. Like, it's no. going to blow through the racket. Right. So I don't – I. I get the overall point, right? Like you have a bigger surface area, but I've always thought that was a really fun phrase. Uh, but anyways, Christopher Morrell, he is on an absolutely unreal run. He now has 20 homers this year between AAA and the majors. He has nine in his first 12 big league games. He Only four guys in, in big league history since 1901 have hit as many as nine homers in their first 12 games of a season. Only one person, Mike Schmidt, in uh, what year was this? 76. 76 hit more than Morrell. He hit 11. Morrell, Luis Gonzalez in 2001, Larry Walker in 97 have hit as many as nine. Morrell, the first guy since Sammy Sosa in 98 to hit homer in five straight games. Morrell wasn't even born then. He was yeah. born in 99, as he pointed out to us last night. But just an unreal run. Tim, we'll start with you. Like, what do you make of this? And will Morrell ever stop homering? Uh, I mean, I think like, you asked Drew Smiley last night, right? Like, just have you seen anyone on a tear like this right now? And Drew Smiley said, I mean, is anybody? I don't know. I don't know what else you can really say about it. And I think that's where I'm at. It's just like, this is pretty incredible. And I, I think seeing what he did in AAA to start the year, it was, it was incredible, right? But I don't think you would expect nearly close to that coming up to the big leagues. Like, not to say that he wasn't going to come up and enjoy success, but I think this is blowing anyone's expectations out of the water. As much as fans were kind of clamoring for him for the first few weeks, like he was doing well down there, he clearly deserved the opportunity. But he's pretty much just carried over, like production for production, level to level. Uh, I don't. It's obviously like unfair to say it's going to be sustainable. We know it's not going to sustain this level, but uh, he's showing something here, man. And we can probably get into this more about the the debate about him being up here from day one or not. But all I can say is it's pretty unreal. Yeah, and I, I'm I I lean more on the side that like I think he needed that time in Iowa just to kind of get his back because if you remember how much he struggled in the second half, like the last thing he wanted him to do in the to have the, that same second half numbers where he's struggling and, and striking out a lot and not hitting as well. Like I th I think the the time in Iowa helped him a lot that he's able to come up here and have this success. 
And the big thing is, is like with him, like he might not ever be like the, a perfect polished hitter where he's going to not going to be striking out as much as he is. Like he mentioned it, that in Houston, as great of a series as he had, he still struck out eight times. And I'm like, yeah, like he did. Like you just remember the home runs and, and that's, that's not ideal, but it kind of negates itself when you are hitting as hot as you are. And, yeah. and that's, that's one thing the Cubs will take. Like they're okay with the strikeouts if he's producing like this. The problem last year is he was striking out like he was. And I think his on-base percentage was like in the 250s. Like mm-hmm. that, that just was not just was not successful for him. It was not success, successful for the Cubs. When he's doing this, it kind of negates it. And for me, what was really cool, and I wrote about this at, at MarqueeSportsNetwork.com, like watching Christopher Morrell take BP in Houston was just a spectacle on its own. Like he was just crushing balls. And they have the ads above, the like these ad signs above left field that when they would hit it, it was just a loud clank. And there's just not, there's not many people in, in the stadium that you hear the clank loud and clear. I believe it was Bregman's home run, or maybe maybe Morales, one of Morales home runs hit off the ad signs in game. But it's so loud with the with the crowd, you can't hear the you can't hear the clank. That that was really cool about batting practice. But it just shows his natural power of him just being able to do that and put on a spectacle in, in BP. Yeah, it, really, it's been absolutely incredible, and it's going to be really interesting when Cody yeah. Bellinger comes back. How the Cubs continue to get him in the lineup because Jed Hoyer is like, I, I, we're not going to take a guy who's homering one every six at bats, or <laughs> maybe even one at every three at bats. At the way rate, it seems, yeah. yeah, out of the lineup on an everyday basis. So the Cubs will play him at third. Maybe they'll play him in any of the three outfield positions. DH, like he played Tuesday night, but. Christopher Morrell will be in the lineup for a pretty long time just based off this hot stretch. Uh, even if he slumps for a bit, the Cubs are certainly going to see what he can do. Um, another guy that's been on a hot stretch that we kind of teased earlier is Drew Smiley. He's yeah. been phenomenal, and after another good start on Tuesday night, he now has a 2-1-3 ERA since April 10th. That's best in baseball it, it, with a minimum of nine starts. This guy has been very, very good really over his last 19 starts, including 10 starts from last year. He's 9-3 with a 2-6 ERA and a whip below 1. Such an underrated signing over the offseason. I mean, Jamison Tyon, obviously Dansby Swanson, some of these other guys, Hosmer, Mancini, got more fanfare than bringing back Drew Smiley. But in a rotation that where Wesneski struggled, Samson's been hurt, uh, Javier Assad has pitched out of the bullpen except for one start. I mean, they needed, obviously Kyle Hendricks has yet to make his return. They needed a guy like Drew Smiley, and he's been exactly what they wanted, and then even more. Like, yeah. this guy has been... Absolutely incredible. What have you made, Andy, so far of what Drew Smiley has done this year? To me, what's incredible is it's like it's really he's doing it primarily with a knuckle curveball. And we think about baseball nowadays where it's like you got to have a sweeper, you got to have a slider, you got to have 99 miles an hour. And he has really none of that. Like he uses a cutter, he uses a knuckle curve, and he gets guys out. And and it's he just stymies hitters. He's just like it's it's really incredible what he's able to do with with such a unique mix and. He was asked about it on Tuesday, like, what makes your knuckle curve so good? He's like, I, I don't know, man. It's just a, hitters have a hard time picking it up. And I'm like, well, that's good enough for anyone. Like, you don't have to, sometimes we like to get deep in the data or deep in the, the advanced numbers, but sometimes there's just, a, it's, it's just something works. And for Drew Smiley, it works. And the Cubs will hope that it, it works for the rest of the season. Tim, what have you thought of Drew Smiley? Oh, I don't know where they'd be without him. I'll say that. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Jamison Tyon was their the guy they zeroed in on in free agency, and I'm not going to throw away his season off you know, eight starts. I expect him to turn it around, but he's clearly struggled. Hayden, Hayden Wisniewski had some growing pains, and they sent him to Iowa, which obviously I think was more about the need to add bullpen help at the time, as much as he was kind of having up and down starts. So uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I don't. I want to look at the numbers, but – with what Strowman and Steele have done, and then you add in Smiley, who leads the National League in whip, by the way. I know you mentioned it. Like, 
I wonder how many teams stack up with that three, that trio in yeah. terms of yeah. just the, the numbers at least. I, I'm not going to call off name brand. I know some teams like the Mets have future Hall of Famers in their yeah. rotation, <laughs> but uh, I think that's as good of a trio as you can probably find based on what they're doing this season, and they've needed every outing from Smiley. And it's kind of interesting to me is because after that first one, it was such a rough start in Cincinnati, and I, I think maybe if you were a fan, you, that rings some alarm bells in your head, and since then he's just been like, nah, here's – Here's the real me, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think back to the Field of Dreams game where, you know, it was Drew Smiley starting and uh, and he went out and had, what, nine strikeouts over like yeah. five and a third or whatever it was. I mean, he, he was he absolutely shoved in that game. And since then, he's just been on this run. And he's done it so quietly and he's kind of this quiet, unassuming guy. Like I said, the, the very underrated signing over the winter as well. So, uh, like you said, Tim, I, I don't know where the Cubs would be either. <laughs> you know, if they're they're sitting five games under 500 as we're doing this with Drew Smiley pitching the way they did, obviously they would have been quite a bit lower without that. Uh, Andy, before we take off here, though, Kyle Hendricks may be back in the rotation soon. We already mentioned a guy like Cody Hoyer could be off the six-day IL May 29th is the first day that he can come off on Memorial Day. May not be up right after that. But, Andy, you want to give us an update on the two right-handers who could be adding reinforcements to this pitching staff soon? Yeah, so Kyle Hendricks probably will be pitching at some point at this homestand, as Jed Hoyer and, and David Ross mentioned. Could be as early as this weekend against the Reds. Kind of depends on what the Cubs want to do with, with rest and some of the rotation. Justin Seals is in line to start Friday's game against um, against the Reds. Do the Cubs want to give him an extra day of rest and bump uh, Hendricks to, to Friday? Or do they want Steele to go on normal rest and then go to Hendricks on Saturday and, and then follow with, with Smiley, Stroman, and, and Tyone like like is lined up here against New York? That's really the question is, is just how much rest do you want some of your guys to have? And and it'll be interesting. I think I think he'll pitch against the Reds, which is a, a suitable matchup, right? The last thing you want him to do is go up against the Mets or the Phillies or some yeah. potent lineup like this in his first game in 11 months. So think we'll see him sometime against the Reds, and, and it'll be interesting to see what Kyle Hendricks, the Cubs get. His velocity's up. He looked like the vintage Hendricks in his last outing. We'll see what we get. And then Cody Hoyer, like you mentioned, May 29th, first time to, to come off the IL. He's kind of have it up and down in AAA. I think they really want to get some consistency before they bring him up. I don't think you want to, just because it's May 29th and he's eligible, you don't want to bring him up if sure. he's not pitching to the to his best of his ability. So I think with him it's more get him in his rhythm, make sure he's feeling good after each outing and pitching at the same level. And then, who knows, he, he might be slotted in that Cubs bullpen that could be, as cliche as it sounds, it could be like a midseason trade before the before the deadline. Yeah, really, each of those guys could be like, the bullpen needs a boost, and right now the rotation only has four starters. But when you had a guy with the <laughs> potential of Kyle Hendricks, and when you just add, you know, both David Ross and Jed Hoyer were asked on Tuesday about Kyle Hendricks, and I don't know if you guys noticed, but their immediate reaction was a smile. Like, yeah. That's almost everybody's immediate reaction when right. you bring up Kyle Hendricks in that clubhouse. Like, people love him. They love ha- having him around, and they love him as a teammate. If he can get back to the Kyle Hendricks that all Cubs fans have seen him be, not necessarily 2016 ERA leader, but anything close to that versus the inconsistencies we saw in 21 and 22 before he was hurt on the IL, I mean, that's a, that's a major, major boost for this team. So it'll certainly be interesting to see how that plays out. That'll do it, though, for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. For Andy and Tim, I'm Tony. Thanks for tuning in.